Welcome to the RSP Cast. I'm Matt Waldman with the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. Joining me, as always, for the quick game. Man, I am always just enjoy getting a chance to chat it up with is the one and only Mark Schofield. Mark, welcome. What's going on, buddy? Hey, man. You know, it's a Wednesday. It's middle of life. Busy. We know you're yeah. a busy man. We appreciate you coming. We had a We had a Tuesday night football game last night, which was... A bit interested, a bit surprised in every result. Uh, but yeah, you know, another yeah. Wednesday in 2020. Yeah, I mean, definitely. You know, the one thing that was interesting about that game, we talked about this with uh, actually with Dwayne McFarland on a recent RSP cast, was the one thing that Josh Allen was going to get tested on this w- would be pressure plus zone. Yeah. You know, and while they didn't play it as much zone as like the bad plays didn't all come on zone. Um, they actually came on a fair bit of man. <laughs> the, the, yeah. the pressure certainly got, you, you know, got there. And I honestly think, again, it's those three to four plays where it's like, you know, I know that Jay Feely was kind of like, oh, well, he hasn't made these plays, you know, during the year, these bad plays. And it's like, yeah, he's gotten away with them, you know, but he has played better. That that's right. And I think that's the thing that we shouldn't dismiss and say oh he's been bad all along no he's been good but it, it was a bad week for him for sure yeah it, 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 but it was just a weird game i mean you know if you're buffalo from their point of view you don't know when that game's gonna get played you're getting strung along a bit now you're out of your routine you know football football players are a creature of habit you know john madden in one of his books wrote that like you know if they're five minutes if the flight is five minutes delayed they're gonna freak out and so playing on a tuesday night no, I, I'm not sure it contributed to the best environment for either team, really. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. And, you know, well, you know now, now that you're the owner of two cats, what it's like to be uh, an owner of a football team because, you know, basically cats are that way. So Thankfully, those two, you know, Sonny and Rosie, they're fine getting put in their own little cat room when we close the door at night. So we don't have the, you know, 3 a.m. part of the face. It's time to feed me things yet, but... When they get a little older, we'll let them roam around at night, and then those days are coming. Yeah, see, the one that I had who who's basically um, the one that was my favorite, basically after after I spoiled him letting him sleep in the room with me, when the, the there would be times that I'd close the door and he wasn't allowed, or I'd close the door and I forgot that he wasn't in there, um, and he would... Uh, he would paw at the door, and then when that didn't work, he would run down the hallway and throw his body into the door. <laughs> yeah. I mean, our previous cat, Presley, was amazing because he would do the 3 a.m. thing, and if I wasn't getting up right away, like, he'd first jump on me, and then he'd smack my face a little bit. Then if I didn't get up to feed him right away, he would jump onto the nightstand and just start slowly knocking things off one by one. Like So, you know, glasses would go, phone would go, books would go. Yeah. Eventually, the alarm clock would go. And at that point, well, I'm up anyway. So yeah. it's amazing the things they learn how to do. That is very true. Very true. So, you know what? Speaking of cats and dogs, we get to start off this quick game with the Raiders Chiefs, which to me has always been one of my favorite non-NFC North A or excuse me AFC North slash or excuse me AFC um yeah AFC North slash AFC Central kind of rivalries in gotcha. football. Um I'm gonna get there at some point. Um <laughs> <laughs> but the, you know the fact that now the Raiders seem to be you know got the Chiefs number this past week was pretty darn good. And I just love to know your thoughts Mark on that game. Anything that just comes to mind. Well I think it was interesting Seeing the Raiders' offense be a bit more vertical in the downfield passing game, um, 
you know, John Gruden made the comment after the game that a lot of people at Pro Football Focus are going to have to realize that we threw the ball downfield, sort of taking a shot at how people view Derek Carr as sort of a, a check down Charlie. But that shouldn't come as a surprise because if you watch that game against New Orleans a couple weeks ago, they were also vertical in the passing game. You know, there has been this effort this season to get downfield more, to push the ball downfield, to let Derek Carr open it up a bit. And the trickle-down effect of that is huge on an offense because as a veteran of the Tom Brady-Rex Ryan wars, you know, back when Rex Ryan was in the AFC, either with the Ravens or the Jets, you know, his whole modus operandi of trying to stop Tom Brady would be, we're going to condense everything underneath and force you to try those throws over the top because we don't think you're going to do it. And at times it it worked. And so if you have that ability and that willingness to push the ball downfield as a quarterback, as an offense, as a philosophy, you're going to open up that stuff underneath to where you'd rather be as an organization. So I think this was a big game from the Raiders' perspective in that sense because now if you're looking at defending Derek Carr and Henry Ruggs and the weapons that they have, you have to worry about that stuff. You might think about playing more cover two and keeping two safeties deep which opens up where they want to be as an offense. And so I think in that respect, it was a huge win for them. Yeah, absolutely. I'll say what was interesting for me is the, is the pass rush that got to Patrick Mahomes repeatedly, you know, with Crosby and Pharrell and, you know, this whole unit. And, you know, they're a little slow in the secondary, but absolutely a, a, a team that with Abram, you know, when he's, you know, when he doesn't hurt himself or hurt his own teammates, you know, right. f- flying around there, right. you know, he's a fun player to watch. But then in addition to that, the loss of Kalichi Osemele for, you know, the guard for the Chiefs is going to be fascinating to watch how that plays out. And the same with Watkins. I mean, I know like a lot of fantasy people are like just are tired of Watkins because they just, you know, he always seems to get hurt and there's always something, you, you know, that kind of compromises that promise that he has. But I, I really do think that guys like Demarcus Robinson um, and and really Nicole Hardman are yeah. kind of poor substitutes for what Watkins does when he's at his best. Um, so that now that you get rid of Semele and you don't have him, and he was already replacing, um, you know, what Tar- um, Duvernay Tardif, you know, or Tardif Duvernay, which one, I don't remember, I remember the order for him. But he's you know, the doctor. I know he's that. the doctor, yeah. Now that they've already replaced the doctor, now they're getting down to the orderlies. I'm not sure how this is going to work out. Yeah. You know, this could put a little bit of a dent in the Chiefs' plans, I think. Um, and especially with the run game, because again, I mean, I, you know, I, I like to, I've been harping on this, but this has been kind of the thing that's been non met at me all year. Clyde Edwards Hilaire is a very good rookie, but calling him a top five player, I thought was way too premature, um, you know, in terms of what he is as a back and most top five backs can run for power. Most top five backs have skill in the red zone in terms of at least understanding what to do. And I think that, you know, I don't, I think there are a lot of people who are like these regression oriented, regression to the mean people who are like, well, it, you know, it's their magical realistic way of saying that he's due. Um, and I don't think that, I don't think that's going to happen this year. So um, the Chiefs, I don't think they're in trouble, but I do think that you're going to see them a little more vulnerable as the year goes on, um, in, unless they can get fantastic play from their guard um you know at at this point 
Yeah, where are you on the idea that Patrick Mahomes has become his own worst enemy in the pocket in the sense that his ability to backpedal and make ridiculous throws while on the move is good, but he's backpedaling outside the protection of the pocket. I know, and perhaps there's a reason why he's doing it, but Jeff Schwartz has been on Twitter breaks over the past couple of weeks saying, look, he's dropping 9, 10, 11, 12 yards deep. You can't, you're not used to protecting a quarterback that deep as an offensive lineman. Where do you stand on that? Because the more I watch it, the more I think there is something to it. Oh, no, I agree. I think that that's a, I think that he's, He's a young player, and what we have to understand is that sometimes when a young player has success early, they can feel like they can do anything, and they can also drift into bad habits. I mean, we, you know, I'm sure that there were things, and I don't remember what they were, but I'm sure there were things that Tom Brady early on did very well, and he was playing above his head a little bit, and then he kind of drifted into bad habits year two, year three, and then had to kind of work through them and work them out. And that usually happens with young players. So I'm not surprised at all. I mean, the interception he threw um, at the end of that game was was exactly what his naysayers, draft the draftniks who kind of were worried about him would say was that he was reckless. You know, yep. that was a that was an uh, that was a reckless moment. Now the one that he threw that looked like absolute genius, like earlier in the game, you know, that's more of what we've seen from Mahomes um, in terms of his decision making, but. No, I don't. I think that's a fair criticism. You can't out. You can't out drop your coverage when it comes right. to like to, to that. So I think that's a great point to bring out. So, you know, we talked a little bit. Of, you talked all about Henry Ruggs and you know what's up with him. This has been a fantastic wide receiver class on the field, in addition to you know just at the podium. So, yeah. you know, any thoughts on anybody who like just you're just especially impressed with that you'd love to give some. Uh, you know, a shout out to and talk about their game. Well, I, I'm very excited to see from a personal standpoint, Jefferson and Chenault where they are right now. Um, you know, cause, cause those are two guys that I really liked during the process and two guys that had a fair amount of questions thrown their way with Jefferson. It was, can he handle life in the NFL? You know, can he handle press coverage? Can he work as an outside receiver? Or is he a slot receiver only? And if so, why are you going to draft him in the first round? And with Chenault, it's like, okay, the guy can play every position, but can he play one position well? Is he going to work in the NFL, or is he just a gadget H-back type of player? And I think both of those guys landed in the ideal situations. With Jefferson, he goes to an offense where you run a lot of 12 personnel, so you're basically aligned in the slot anyway, even if you're a boundary player, because he can bring you in in that reduced split. They're using him on those crossers, those over routes off of play action against zone coverage, which is how he was used at LSU. And with Chenault, Jay Gruden has done a lot in terms of getting him involved, doing some RPO stuff, moving him all over the field where you have to account for him as a defense, but it's putting him in familiar scenarios where he could just be an athlete. He doesn't have to worry about footwork and route running and technique and things like that. And these are two really good examples of how coaches in the NFL today need to cater what they do with rookies to what they do well. And so I'm overjoyed to see the success from those guys. I think sort of taking a step back and looking at the more macro picture, we all thought this was going to be a very good wide receiver class, whether you had your guys that you liked more than others, whether it was Ruggs, whether it was Lamb, whether it was 
you know, any of these guys. And to see them doing well, I think is great because we're seeing guys being used the way they should be used. And that's tremendous for the game. Yeah, that's absolutely awesome. You know, my editor actually used to have that that alarm exactly like that um, when yeah. it came to his phone. Interesting. I honestly think that's my old law firm. And so I, I wonder if I should answer that. Probably not. <laughs> I don't, I don't like seeing that number pop up, man. It's been a long time. I, I just saw a bead of sweat on your brow there. Goodness um, gracious. Maybe they want to hire me back. Well, listen, listen. Maybe, maybe. But, well, that's not happening. Okay. Well, listen. Um, you, you know, I, I'm with you with Chenault and Jefferson. They've been fantastic. I think you described them extremely well um, in terms of why, especially the analysis on Jefferson in terms of how he's being used. And, and then when you talk about you know, for me, I mean, certainly every, you know, Judy got a lot of love. I think Judy has played well. I think, um, you know, what he does in the zones has been really, you know, what you expected from him at, at LSU. Um, he's been tough catching the football. So for those who were worried about that and, and didn't see enough in their eyes to, to justify that he could make the tough plays, I think he's done enough to show that, especially in the Steelers game um, where he took a shot from Devin Bush that mm-hmm. probably bruised a rib, you know, and he came down with that ball quite easily. He's had some drops, which has been kind of interesting, um, a little bit kind of in a hurry to get downfield with the ball, but those have been just been kind of normal focus things, but he's been fun to watch. The guy, you know, Gabriel Davis has been fun to watch yeah. because, I mean, he caught a touchdown that was called back last night. You know, he's he's one of those guys that I think also fits perfectly in the Bills offense because watching him at UCF, he was one of those guys that doesn't have great top, he doesn't have great acceleration, but if you get him as, you know, get him downhill and give him a runway to get momentum, he has good speed and change of direction along with his size to be able to do damage. So they use him in the middle of the field. They use him on some deeper routes. They let him settle also in zone where he can use that big frame. And he's been very consistent as a blocker. And, and you know, that consistency has got him on the field. I'm looking forward to seeing more Brian Edwards um, because, you know, he sounded like he was doing so well in camp. Devin Duvernay's flashed a bit, but, you know, Lamar's had his struggles um, you know, recently in this offense right. have had a struggle. So that's that's one. But the guy who's just like absolutely done everything that I hope for and more has been CD Lamb. I mean CD I, I just I'm put I just put out a video on CD Lamb that'll be um a part of a, a football guy's article this afternoon. And the guy is just old school tough. I mean you saw some of that over the middle at Oklahoma, but against the Giants this weekend, against the Falcons a little bit earlier in the year he made some plays in zone where he just the savvy to get open, the the ability to to stack, the ability to also just kind of like hang in the air and get the ball secured and take shots that drew flags, you know, and just get up and no big deal. The first play of the game, he drops the ball. The rest of them, it's like it, it you know, it was like the easiest target he had like all right. year probably, and he dropped it. And then after that, he was just madness. Um, and his just zone route running is very good uh, in addition to the fact that he can beat you man to man and he's gotten to the point where it's like he I think he's I think he's their biggest asset in the slot more so than Amari Cooper like everyone's gonna say oh well Cooper's gonna get his time in the slot and I'm I haven't looked at the percentages with PFF but I'd have just watching the Giants game and how well he performed and in, and then in the weeks prior to that, He's pretty much their guy in the slot now. I mean, yeah. that's like, it just makes the most sense to have him there. And, you know, with Andy Dalton now replacing Dak Prescott, 
I don't see much of you know. I mean, Andy Dalton's had a lot of had a lot of success with Tyler Boyd. I think that you know the 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 deficiencies that that Dalton has. I don't think it's going to be an issue for a guy like Lamb this year. I think he's going to continue to have a very strong year with Dalton. If anything, the communication might be even a little bit better at times. It depends, yeah, it could you be. know, just because Dalton's played a little bit longer, and that's all it is. Is because not that Prescott isn't a, you know, isn't excellent in those respects, and you know, we'll wish our best for for Dak in terms of that his recovery because yeah. that was awful. But yeah, I'm definitely a. Definitely a fan. But speaking of a guy who, you know, some folks might even compare to Dak Prescott a little bit in terms of his ability to move in the pocket, um, you know, and his ability to create, Trevor Lance, we watched him. Um, but there was an interesting commentary. My, um, you know, friend of mine and colleague who has done some work at Football Game Plan and um, who's a high school coach and a former wide receiver who's played a little bit at the college level, um, Gene Clemens, and who's been a guest yep. on on my shows, Gene kind of came out and kind of criticized us on Twitter a little bit, and was like, "Hey, you know." And we talked it out. And it was it was quite a civil thing, but he said, "I just think sometimes it's a little unfair that a guy like Lance is being put up there with folks like Fields and um, and uh, Trevor Lawrence. and Trevor Lawrence." Yeah. yeah, and he's like, and so I'm like, "Well, what do you mean?" He's like, "Well, he goes, I just feel like that this kid's getting played up on a level that." you know, that he's at a smaller school, he's had less experience, he hasn't played big-time competition, and I feel like these guys get built, he gets built up, and then if he doesn't do well, then he gets torn down, where he might need a little more time to adjust compared to a guy like Fields. Now, you know, everyone has their opinion about what they see on tape. I got the impression you and I were kind of like, Fields needs a little bit more time. You know, he's a good player, he's, you know, he's heading in the right direction, but he needs a little bit more time. And I, and I, I think that, Probably all but Lawrence probably need a little bit more time. But in that respect, I don't know about you, but I felt like I feel like Lance was a guy who um, the it may not be the level of competition, but it's the way that he reacts to stimuli on the field that was more important to me than the level of the competition. Where are you at with that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think first of all. Trey Lance, the second the last draft ended, was being mentioned by Mel Kuyper Jr. as one of the top five players in the next draft. Like, I, I don't think, you know, anybody is really being irresponsible at this point. You know, once that is out of the gate, like you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube at that point. Right. And so, you know, what we do is watch this kid and evaluate him. And our sort of conclusion on Lance was that in some offenses, say San Francisco, this guy could probably step right in and do what he's asked to do in the national football league, given the constructs of the North Dakota state offense and, you know, how he handled the situations that were put in front of him. You know, I remember making the point that a lot of people sort of harp on level of competition and there is obviously something to do that, you know, but he's also going up against a defensive coordinator that has spent an entire week trying to figure out how to beat this guy, you know, not too many D coordinators figured that out last year when the guy goes 28, no in terms of his touchdown and interception ratio, there weren't a lot of mistakes. And I think, you know, when you look at those three quarterbacks, Lawrence, Fields, and Lance, there's no question that all three of them are going to be first-round picks. You know, there's a reason why Trey Lance just said, I'm one and done this season. I'm playing my one game, and I'm entering the draft. And he's not going to do that if he's not going in the first round. Yeah. And so I, I do struggle at times, obviously, as just a human being when 
you realize that we're talking about kids. You know, we're talking about 20, 21, 22 year old kids. Um, you know, but they have put themselves in this, this scenario due to their hard work. Yeah. And we have to evaluate them critically as a result of that. I think Lance is good enough to be in the discussion for a, you know, top 10, top 15 pick in the draft right now. And yeah. I, I think that's fair. And I don't know if I would go out and say that he is going to step in week one in the NFL, regardless of landing spot and start and be great. I wouldn't go there. I think there would be some environments where he could, there would be many more environments where he shouldn't, but he's good. And it's okay to say that. And it's not really pumping the guy up when the toothpaste is already out of the tube. So, you know, I, in terms of us being irresponsible, like, I don't think we were sort of irresponsible in gassing this guy up. Just the other day, Eric Crocker, um, former defensive back in the Arena League, um, obviously knows the game. You know, he's a 49ers guy, so he's been scouting quarterbacks the past couple of weeks, which might tell people something. And he did threads on Lance. He did threads on Fields. And even he came to the conclusion that in some respects, he prefers Lance to Fields. Yeah. So, I, Yeah, I know I do. And it's like, yeah. you know, you look at it and I think about it this way. It's like, and this is where I think Gene, when we had the conversation, conceded the point, which was like, at least this particular part of the point, which is that, you know, if we're going to be, if we're going to look at how players get exploited in society, um, the media is not the first one on the list that you need to get, um, you probably need to have a bone to pick with. I would say, you know, coaches, recruiters, um, family, um, yep. you know, um, agents. Um, who have these ridiculous marketing contract things that they do that are basically predatory if, if from what I've seen and in many in many respects. So you know there's you know and if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm gonna go into that real quick, which is basically you know an agent I know who works small time talking about what big time agencies do is that they sign these guys to a marketing deal essentially and say, you know we're gonna give you a marketing deal which is essentially a loan taken out against the agency, the big, the big agency, which is a, playing a role of a lender or bank and basically saying that if you get, you know, we'll give you an advance of $200,000, of $500,000, of $50,000, whatever the amount is. And, and basically it'll be something that'll be start to be a loan that you have to pay back with interest as soon as you make the roster or as soon as you get drafted essentially and at that point you can be a guy who's you know and these are like and they're doing this for guys who are like and offering it to guys who are like going to be seventh round centers in the league right like anybody know a center that's done a chunky soup commercial anyone that know a a, a center who's done like more than anything than a local car commercial um right. probably not probably not haven't even done those things so suddenly they're they're barely making a team and they owe that much money against their contract, you know, and they've already invested that money probably somewhere that they can't get rid of it without saying, sorry, mom, you worked hard your whole life and I bought you a house with this, but I'm going to have to repo the house. Like yeah. though, you know, basically we're gonna have to just foreclose on that or, or just short sell it. I mean, that kind of thing happens all the time. So, you, you know, in terms of on the field. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's like Baker Mayfield didn't look ready. You know, yeah. Jimmy Garoppolo still doesn't look ready. No, that's not true. But, you know, there are certainly guys who have, you know, had their struggles who went to bigger time programs um, 
early on in their careers. And part of it, I think, is about work and how you prepare. There's some guys that come in and work and prepare, and they're just ready to go. I mean, Justin Herbert, you know, who we're about to talk about yeah. right now. I mean, you've loved him. I mean, you were a guy that you continued to stay high on him, and you were kind of back and forth. Maybe earlier on, you're kind of like, I really like what I see. I think he's the best quarterback. Then you're kind of like, and I remember it was kind of like, I still think he could be the best quarterback, but here's some things that trouble me a little bit, but I can see how it won't matter. Like, I still think that, and at the end of the day, I really like what I see from him. And what's been nice to see is his pocket presence and his ability to let you know, when they asked him in the broadcast, what do you, what's the biggest wow moment in the NFL for you in terms of learning? He goes, how much, how important it is that you step up in the pocket. And that wasn't something... I'd see him run up into the pocket, but I didn't see him like do a lot of varieties of things that were efficient. I'm seeing that here. And the aggression downfield to throw to anybody, Tyron Johnson, Jalen Guyton, you, yeah. you know, I mean, he's hitting those guys up like it's that was Mike Williams and Keenan Allen, and then maybe they threw Travis Benjamin back into the lineup or, you know, somewhere Vincent Jackson came out of retirement, you know, and, and got his old body back. You know, I don't know. It was... It, it's been fantastic with how accurate he's been and, and how well he's read the field. And I've just been super impressed with him. Yeah, I've been blown away by Justin Herbert. Um, and I think Herbert's a good example yet again of putting a, a rookie in a position to be successful. Because over the past like week or so, I went back and revisited all my notes and videos and scouting reports on him. And one of the things that I kept saying was, look, if you put him in a downfield offense, like if you let him throw deep downfield, attack the boundaries, that's where he's going to be the best. That's where he's going to be at his best. If you do some play action shot plays with him, let him attack downfield rather than being something he isn't right now, which is a guy working the intermediate game, trying to layer throws to the middle of the field. That was a huge question mark for me when I watched Justin Herbert. So I, I'm excited that the Chargers have let him do that stuff. I think that's huge for him. But you're right, Matt. The, the pocket presence is a box that I didn't think he'd be able to check at least not this quickly, but he's been able to check it extremely well. And it's not just the athleticism. I know we're going to talk about that. I think Herbert and Allen might make a lot of people rethink how we view the quarterback position in today's NFL, but it's the subtlety in the pocket. Like you're seeing him slide, you're seeing him dip, you're seeing the subtleties of pocket maneuverability, which sometimes get ignored when you think about guys that can just run around and make people, you know, try to chase them. Um, he's got that because it's not every time you can escape out the back door and get away with it. And as we just talked about with Patrick Mahomes, sometimes you do that too often. It's going to develop bad habits. Eventually, that pocket might just naturally start to collapse around you and you need to subtly climb, click and make a throw. And that's the stuff that he's been doing that's really impressed me. Yeah, that's fantastic. Now we go from, you know, obviously who who I think has been the best rookie quarterback this year to a guy who people thought would be the best rookie quarterback this year um, in terms of performance, you know, um, yeah. production performance, not necessarily on-field analysis of his evaluation of his game. And that's Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow, as I would say, got pecked apart by the unkindness of Ravens. If you are familiar with birds, a group of Ravens are an unkindness. 
Mm-hmm. That's what they are called. That's what I learned this week. So you got a murder of crows and an unkindness of ravens. So <laughs> I thought it. I thought it was. Yeah, apt. Whenever I whenever I hear the murder of crows, I flash back to one of the Simpsons Halloween episodes where Homer like raises crows in the backyard, and Marge is getting scared, and she's like, "You can't have all the, the, this, you know, this herd of crows or whatever." He's like. A group of crows is called a murder, Marge. It's nothing to worry about, but it's called a murder. That's my... Whatever. Yeah, it just cracks me up. That's my new fantasy team names, actually, is called the RSP murder. So, like, they're just called the murder. So, like, on my... On my... On my... um, on my leagues, everything says the murder now. So, that's... Yeah. (laughs) So, anyway. um, Listen. I mean, you look at Burrow... They blitzed the heck out of him. He got hit 16 times in that game, 14 times in like, like two and a half quarters. Um, he, you know, he fumbled the ball twice. But you know, what was interesting about him is he only made really one rushed throw. He only like Garoppolo turtled, you know, once in, in this particular situation. Um, so, you know, but how long is it going to take for him to? to get to that point of where he's like, you know, David Card, you know, that's the, that's the that, concern. That was the name that was creeping in my mind watching Burrow, not just this past week, but pretty much this season. Like, you know, they've done some things which are nice with him. They've gone empty. They've given him half field reads. You know, they've simplified things for him. And I do think that, look, this is a tough kid, a competitive kid, you know, that w- can be put into a bad environment and come out better the other side. You know, he certainly checks that competitive toughness box. But the sort of David Carr scenario is lurking in the back of my mind. And, you know, if it was a three or a four before this week, it's a five or a six now. You know, because there does come that time where you want to get faster as a quarterback with your mind. You want to get faster as a quarterback with your decision-making. But you want to do it the right way, not an artificially forced way, which is if I don't throw this fast enough, I'm going to get hurt. You know, and that's when problems arise. It's not, I need to make a quicker read so I can execute a throw or I can take advantage of this blitz or X, Y, and Z. It's, I have to physically take care of myself. And so I have to speed things up. That's the concern that we're worried about with the sort of David Carr scenario. And I'm worried about it right now. I am. Um, I, I do think that, I don't know what Cincinnati can do right now to fix their offensive line. It's hard before a trade deadline. Do we see an A.J. Green move where they try to get some team's swing tackle to try to replace Bobby Hart or something? Maybe. Um, But they have to do something because you can't invest, even in the new rookie contract structure, into a first-round, first-overall quarterback and then ruin him because you haven't put protection around him. You know, that's a great thought. And, uh, you know, one of the thoughts that I want to explore just a little bit is A.J. Green. You know, I'm looking at A.J. Green and I know he looks a little slower and he's been, you know, the the injuries have mounted, you know. But from what I've seen, I've studied enough of his tape this year so far. He still is very quick running routes. He's still quick off the line. He's still savvy. He and Burrow may not be like on the same page with some of these routes in terms of like the placement of the ball. Maybe. Um, Some of that may also just be that he is a step slower and he's not, you know, in, in peak condition. But he'd be a dynamite slot, big slot right now. He'd be, because he could do it. And But they've got a great slot receiver, so why would they do, you know, in the prime right. of his career? But I could see him in the slot somewhere 
and and give him selected reps that would be fantastic. I mean, a team like Seattle would be fun. Um, AJ Green in Seattle. <laughs> that just I mean, sounds fun. Green, but... Metcalf, and Tyler Lockett. Yeah. I for... mean, come on. Yeah, they can they can let Josh, the the whiff of Josh Gordon stay a whiff of smoke there, you yeah. know. And then, but there's, you know, but there are other teams I'd have to imagine that would also be pretty good with with him there. So I'm just wondering if there's anybody that comes to mind, like another. Well, I don't know. I can't think. Another one to me would be get rid of the Curtis Samuel experiment to a degree and, and put him in Carolina, but Carolina doesn't have a lineman to offer them either. Right. So, so I don't know oh, who Cleveland? does Cleveland. Yeah. Would they make a trade in the division? I don't know about that. Probably but, not. You know, Cleveland's a bit deeper. The jets. I mean, the jets have a bad offensive line to begin with, but they threw so many resources at it. They probably could probably spare one of them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a t- tough scenario, but, um, okay. Well, listen, um, Speaking of like quarterbacks, we've been talking about this and you alluded to it. Do you think you have to be a mobile quarterback to win in the NFL? And how mobile does that mean if you think that that's a true statement? Because I keep seeing people say, well, you have to have a mobile quarterback to win nowadays. And I see it from like folks in the fantasy community a little bit. Like at football guys, I when I do the round table, you know, there was some, I think Dan Hendry made a statement about that, like it was a given and, I, and I'm sitting there thinking, is it a given? And if it is, how much so? Because, you know, someone could easily imagine saying, well, everyone has to be Lamar Jackson or Dak Prescott. Everyone has to be um, Russell Wilson. Or can they be something else? Right. I, I think, yes, you have to be mobile as a quarterback in today's NFL. I think that top line statement is true. But there's a spectrum of mobility that works in the National Football League. You don't have to be Lamar Jackson. You don't have to be Dak Prescott. You don't have to be Patrick Mahomes or Justin Herbert or Kyler Murray. But you have to at least be Tom Brady. You have to at least be Ben Roethlisberger. You have to at least be what we're seeing from Justin Herbert in that you can create space to make a throw. You can create advantageous angles and you can create your own protection if you have to. It doesn't mean you have to be able to run for 17 yards with the drop of a hat, but it does mean you have to be able to step two feet away from a defender to get a throw off to extend a play and keep your offense on schedule. If you are an immobile battleship, the days of the Eli Mannings, the days of the Peyton Mannings, like those days might be over, although Peyton Manning could move around a little bit than I think people gave him credit for. But if you are a battleship in the pocket like a Dwayne Haskins, you are going to struggle. It is going to be very hard for you given the athleticism of the guys on the other side of the ball that are coming after you. So, yes, you have to be mobile, but there's a spectrum of mobility that works in the National Football League. Yeah, and we're arguing semantics here, but since you're, you you have a legal mind, of, uh, at least in your past, uh, I'll say that it's worth saying. I'll say the answer is no, you don't have to be a mobile quarterback because I'll I'll use some the semantical argument and be ridiculous and say you just have to be maneuverable. Um, you know, because because okay. da, da, yeah. Dan Marino. Dan Marino yeah. is not mobile, but Dan Marino was quick on his feet just like Tom Brady was, and no one's ever going to tell me that Dan Marino can't play in today's NFL like if in his peak. Like that's just yeah. that's ridiculous. But you're right. I mean like to me, the way you defined it was perfect. I'm just being an ass. So no, that's you know, your, that's your job, but, Matt. Yeah, exactly. See, there you go. But <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's the ability to 
to, to me, that's important because I just, I think it's just easier to say it's like Tom Brady's not mobile, you know, but he is someone that he can create space. And I mean, I, I think if you put it that way, like you have to be maneuverable. Yeah. You know, I think that makes sense. And then mobility is a bonus. You know, I think maneuverability is the bottom line is the, you know, threshold that you have to meet as a quarterback in today's NFL. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Speaking of which, this guy used to be maneuverable. I still think he might be in a very awkward way. He's strong as all get out. Yes. But watching him got and dad strength. He's got he has dad strength for sure. And dude, he might I mean, at this rate, he might still be fielding like he might field a team at one point just with his own family. Getting close. He's getting close. And that's Philip Rivers. But have the Colts gotten a bill of goods with Rivers? You watch his game, and it's like, I thought two years ago he couldn't push the ball to the boundaries as well as he should, um, and it seems like he was making Josh Allen decisions before Josh Allen became Josh Allen. Um, in terms of one to three times a game, you're like, it used to be the Chargers used to defeat themselves, and then suddenly it was Phillip Rivers who was the one defeating the Chargers at the end of games in the past couple of years. They thought they were going to be a downfield attack. I don't think it's T.Y. Hilton. I think it's Phillip Rivers. What about you think? It is. And I think you have to wonder what Indianapolis thought they were getting. Um, I, I thought they looked at their offensive system. They looked at Frank Reich's background. They looked at where Rivers was as a quarterback. And they said, look, we're going to be more of the pure West Coast team and try to find some opportunities to design shot plays downfield that will give Phil Berber still a chance to stretch defenses, but we're not going to rely on him to create with his arm because that's not who he is right now. And it seems like, you know, I just watched their game against Cleveland a couple of times now. It seems like they were trying to be a vertical passing team. And maybe that was due to personnel. Look, there are some questions about some of the guys in the Cleveland secondary. Um, I'm not going to get into right now, Sendejo, um, but I have questions. But you have to realize who your quarterback is and what he can do right now, what he can do well and what he can't. And right now, Phillip Rivers is more of your pure West Coast guy. You know, he's a guy we're going to talk about later in Brett Rippon, which is, you know, he can make some throws if it's there, but if it's not, he's not going to create with his arm. And so you have to structure the offense that way. And so if they thought they would get this guy that they could have an off downfield-based offense in, then yeah. You know, there's a bill of sale, you know, bait and switch situation going on. But if they're just trying to make him do something because of game script or matchups or whatever, you know, maybe that's a different story. All right. So, listen, this kind of gets to the heart of the next question here. And I'm just going to give my answer as the lead to this question. I'm so mad that Chad Kelly tried to take a swing <laughs> at a at a Denver Bronco at the Halloween party. And I'm being kind of satirical when I say this because if he hadn't taken a swing at that guy, we would have never found out about him in the apartment getting attacked with a vacuum cleaner, <laughs> sitting high having a conversation to a woman in in that he basically walked into her house, you know, in a state of, you know, altered consciousness. Because, you know, I'd, I'd have to think that the Denver Broncos, like a lot of NFL teams, would have covered that stuff right up 
if he hadn't have already been an ass just er hours earlier and they weren't worried about his overall stability because we've heard about people's cars not being reported to the police and paying a wrecking company to come tow it when maybe there was a you know someone who had one too many beers you know and i'm not saying that's right and i'm not i'm not justifying it uh, i'm actually it's sad that that kind of goes on but if he were a star player man they would have or already been established they would have would have done something about that i'm t- i think philip rivers it, it just makes me mad cuz i watched that and if it weren't for that he'd be the starter in indianapolis i believe that um i believe that if the Cleveland Browns needed its own version of Major League's wild thing, they could right. get they could get Chad Kelly. The fact that he said, you know, everyone's like, well, he's crazy. And he even just said this past summer that he's faster than anybody, but Lamar Jackson would race any quarterback but Lamar Jackson. And I'm sitting there going, well, if you watch the film, there's actually truth to that. So, um, and go back to his his days as a Clemson slash Ole Miss quarterback. And he actually was that fast. Um, and he is that fast. But I'd love to see him in San Francisco right now. I'd love to see him in Cleveland right now. Because to me, Baker Mayfield is basically, he's just hes just creating an agony of hope that isn't really there. And, and it's just this, it's the hope that they're winning, but he's really not doing the things that are, he's not improving you know, and, and the th- the key things that he needs to improve upon. So there's just this, you know, fans are like, well, we just hope that he's going to turn the corner and things are getting better, right? And it's like, no, I haven't seen evidence of that. So they're just going to prolong the agony with him, and I and I hate that because I'd I'd rather as a fan I'd rather see that team do better. So San Francisco, Indianapolis, heck, you know, maybe even Jacksonville. Um, you know, as much as we like Gardner, I mean, I don't know. I I'd rather. I, I'd rather have a guy like the big arm, Chad, big arm Chad Kelly who can run and who can do all that stuff. So I'm just curious if there's a non-starter quarterback you'd want to see with any team right now and believe it would be an upgrade. I mean, a guy I'll look at is Jameis Winston. And I, I still think that there's a good NFL quarterback inside of this guy, but you have to take the good with the bad. And I look at what's happening right now in San Francisco. I look at what's happening in Indianapolis where – there's an either an inability or an inconsistency when you're trying to attack downfield. Well, Jameis Winston will give you that. Like he will check that box for you. And you have in both Frank Reich and Kyle Shanahan creative enough, smart enough offensive play designers that will give him opportunities to take those shot plays and create the options for him and create the open receivers for him where he's not going to be asked to do too much of a mental load, which at times was his problem, you know, particularly with Bruce Arians, but even dating back to most of his time in Tampa Bay. And so I, I think Winston would be, you know, a guy that could improve some quarterback rooms right now. And I'm very curious as to his whole situation in New Orleans. You know, I know Taysom Hill has become sort of like the football Twitter, like, you know, lightning rod. Punching bag. Yeah. yeah. I mean, anytime like Drew Brees trots off the field and Taysom Hill comes in for a third and four situation, my phone melts because all of football Twitter just starts screaming this primal scream. And it's kind of warranted. I wrote a couple of weeks ago that I think it's time for this whole Taysom Hill experiment to end. But for whatever reason, Sean Payton seems to want to force it. And 
now that they scored a touchdown with him at quarterback last week, this week, they're going to keep doing it. So I, I, if I'm Jameis Winston, I'm like, what do I have to do to get on the field? So yeah, I'd like to see Winston get another shot. Well, see, then I think, what well, I think here's the solution. We need to like, we need to like scrap, we need to buy the Jets and we need, we need to win lotteries and buy the Jets. And what's, what's another team we need to buy? Um, Cleveland? Tech, Cleveland? Yeah, we could do that. So yeah, buy the Jets and buy Cleveland. So we buy Cleveland and we get and we can find the ghost of Buddy Ryan and let him run that team and he can have um, McMahon as his quarterback, you yep. know, played by Chad Kelly. And then we can, you know, maybe buy the Jets and we can get Jerry Glanville and June Jones to come back and run run their run their offense with Jameis Winston and just yep. like put keep the ball in the air. Um all right, so another quarterback, Tua Tonga Vailoa. Ryan Fitzpatrick is playing great. The you know two good receivers on the outside, uh, a rangy tight end who can work the seam, and Mike Jacecki. I think the Shaheen kid could still be pretty good now that he's out of Chicago. Yeah, might be an interesting add there. Miles Gaskin is playing extremely consistent football and like basically won the job over guys that I thought either one could have a shot to be a thousand yard rusher this year if the if the offense was humming in Jordan Howard and. Matt Breda, but they're, he's reduced them to role players, which is fantastic. You know, now that we look at Joe, my fear has, you know, the beginning of the season was, and kind of a prediction, as a bold prediction was going to be, by season's end, you were going to rather have Tua Tungavailoa than Joe Burrow, only because of the fact that, that Burrow doesn't have an offensive line and he's played all year and he's going to get his butt kicked um, and go through a, a tough development at the end. Where Tua might get the the more padded, you know, easy opportunity to kind of get eased in, and then be on a team that's actually made some improvements. Do you, what do you think about the development dynamic with Tua right now? I think ultimately you might be right, but it might be on a slower timetable than you thought. Yeah, I think it might not be until next year, because if you're Brian Flores, you have the you have the luxury of patience now thanks to Ryan Fitzpatrick and the way he's played. And he was so much fun to watch against San Francisco, man, because yeah. first of all, anytime he saw number 48 lined up in single coverage, he was just going to take a deep shot because that poor guy, man, get him some help. Um, but Fitzpatrick has played well. They have, like you walked through it, some weapons now, and they have made an investment that seems to be paying off in their offensive line. A lot of people were surprised when they drafted Austin Jackson. He's been good at tackle. Solomon Kinley, their fourth rounder from Georgia, has been good at guard. Robert Hunt has been sort of their sixth jumbo offensive lineman, another feisty guard slash tackle guy from UL. You know, they have the ability to take to a lawn slope and to be sure that A, he's healthy, and B, they can protect him when he plays. And so, you know, I just get done writing my roundtable piece for football guys. And you asked at the end, like an either or of which guy would you rather have to make a stretch run with? And one of the options was Daniel Jones or Tua. And I said, Jones, just because you know he's going to be on the field. Right. Tua might not. He might not see the field until next year, which would be perhaps ideal for him. Because yeah. by that point, you know. They're going to have a ton of options. They've got, a, again, a ton of draft capital going into next year because they have some of Houston's picks still. They've got picks to make. They can really get weapons around him, and you know he'll be 100% healthy and ready to go. So, yeah, I, I, I think your initial statement that 
you know, Tua might be better off by, you know, the time of the year is over than Burrow because what's around him is true. It just might be next October rather than this December. Very true. And, and, and those are great points. And I'd love to hear that Solomon Kinley's playing well. He was a guy oh, really, he's played so well, I man. loved watching him at Georgia. I thought he was a very good guard prospect, you know, because he's so quick to the second level. And, yeah. and, and I think he's very good at picking up um, you know, helping out his his center and his yeah. I, I I didn't get a t- the time to do it, but I was going to do a video on him after the Jacksonville game, and there was a play on a play action boot where he was uncovered and looked for help and just laid somebody out who was engaged with the with the center. It was it was perfect. So yeah, he's been playing so well. Who's the Who's the orange monster in Warner Brothers and the Bugs Bunny? Um, cartoon. Oh zoo. gosh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to look this up. I know who you're talking about. Yeah, that's whenever I watch Solomon Kinley, I think of that character for some reason. Gossamer. Yeah, he reminds me of Gossamer, like that. Yeah. There's the way he moves, or he's just this big guy who looks like who's so nimble, and it's kind of scary in a way. But you're glad like he's on your team. Um, all right, we gotta ask. I've been enjoying watching Brett Rippon. I thought he looked good against the Jets, with a couple exceptions. And they were tough plays to to really kind of understand what was you know to see you know the, the way they played coverage on that was kind of a you know they they baited him um, I would say was the best way to put it I think you have a better way of being able to to state what exactly they did to Brett Ripon you know on that Thursday night game but uh, I think he's looked good and I think he's bought himself an opportunity to play long term in the NFL at least as a backup but maybe as a Case Keenum developmental guy. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think if you take a step back and sort of look at the totality of the circumstances, short week, Thursday night game, road game for your first NFL start, and to go in and, you know, he had, yeah, the three interceptions. Um, but he did make some throws in that game that were impressive. The second touchdown to Patrick, that seam route in the red zone was a great throw, like a legitimately great throw. Um the over the slight overthrow to Deshaun Hamilton, you know, if Hamilton extends his arms, that's a game wouldn't touchdown. I mean, that that's a throw to remember. You know, the whole shot to Patrick on that same drive uh, to set up the game winning field goal. Like you said, he bought himself an opportunity now. You know, because if he comes out and goes, you know, no touchdowns, three interceptions, and they lose, forget it. Like that's the last we're hearing of Brett Rippon. He's in the XFL playing for the Rock next year. Uh, but now. Teams can literally look at him and say, yeah, he, he can play in this league, you know, as a spot starter, developmental type guy that in the right offense, he could get you some wins. Now, the the two, the, the second and third interception, you know, the second one came on a trap coverage where defensive back Pierre Desir makes a man coverage turn. So it looks to him like he's carrying the vertical. So he's running go flat. He throws the flat route, and the guy's running the defense where you make the man turn, but you're still reading inside. You see the flat route, you trap it. A lot of veteran quarterbacks make that mistake. And so uh, that one didn't trouble me too much. Um, the third interception, he was going to throw the flat route to one tight end. He wasn't looking, so he pulls it down, resets, and throws the crosser, throws it late over the middle, which is you know like starting a land war in Asia. It's the you know classic blunder. So you know you hope he learned from that. But I think more than anything else, look, he was fun to watch. And it was, you know, I'll be a little honest. It was nice that as somebody that talked him up, we got an opportunity to see what he could do. And I think there were largely more positives than negatives. Yeah, well, congratulations on that end because it's just, just another feather in your cap in terms of doing good evaluation of at the position, you know. So 
you know, we'll end this with just kind of a non-football question for each of us. Um, I want to start. I, you know, I get a chance to watch you as you're talking, you know, and see the background, what's going on here in terms of your bookcase and stuff like that. So I'm curious about one of two things. You can pick which one you want to talk to us about. But there's a gray book um, that's kind of at the end of the book end of your football that's multicolored in the middle of that, that larger shelf that I'm curious what that book is. Or I think there's a football to the up and to the right. Or I think that's to the right near that red thing in the back. It looks like an old football there. Either one, I'd love to know what those are. Well, I'll, I'll give you both, actually. That big book, yeah. that is the New York Times front pages. It's like a century's worth of front pages from the New York Times. Cool. Uh, that was a gift to me from my brother-in-law, Doug my Farrar? wife's brother. <laughs> no, no, not from Doug Farrar. Absolutely not from Doug Farrar, man. I mean, my goodness. <laughs> I thought it might be an ironic gift. I'm kidding. No, I, I, know. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's pre-Maggie Haberman. So, um, okay. you know, maybe he would still. You know, gift, gift that one. Um, no, Doug has been. Um, we're recording this on Wednesday, and Doug's been fun on Twitter today, to say the least. Um, oh, is Doug. he talking about it today? Like I've been hearing about it for the past four years. So no, no, no. Yeah. Today too, because there was a New York Post. It's a whole thing. Okay. Um, the football <laughs> um, gives me a chance to brag for a second. That was my senior high school. That's my game ball from when we played Cambridge. Uh, we beat them 27, nothing. I threw three touchdown passes had a fourth called back. Um, probably, you know, one of the like two games that I put on like highlight films for college evaluation. So, um, my parents held on to that, gave it to me, um, let the kids play with it for the most part. So yeah. Is it, can it be inflated again? It can be inflated. I just haven't done it. Um, mostly because I'm afraid if I do, um, the kids will take it into the street and I'll get scuffed up and you know, I'll just get a little sentimental, sentimental value there. So, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so, so that's my answer to that non-football question. Let me ask you, Matt, a non-football question. And one of the interesting things about doing what we do is that the season takes on a life of its own, you know? Once the games kick off, it's like it, it's it's a. I've talked about this before with Michael Kist and others. It's like a, a little snowball at the top of a mountain. It just rolls downhill, and there's a flow to it where you study the games, you write about what's happened, then you start writing about what's going to happen. You do the shows about what's happened. You do the shows about what's going to happen, and then the next games come and it goes all over again. And it's hard to sometimes find a chance to just stop and breathe. So what does Matt Waldman do to stop and breathe during the avalanche of football season? Um, three things, essentially. I try to make sure either every Friday after, it's either I try to have a 24-hour period where I don't do anything football-related. Um, so it's either going to be a, a, from a Friday afternoon to a Saturday afternoon or all day Friday or all day Saturday. Those are one. Um, I make sure that right now, right now, you know, basically taking up the saxophone again has pretty much saved my mental health um, because I was starting to get a little edgy and get a little ready to like bite people's heads off about everything just privately, not in my own family, but like, like on Twitter, on Mm. all sorts of, you know, with other people in different places. And I just, I knew that that was it wasn't them it was me 
Um, and it's just been, you know, it's been a tough, it's been a tough summer to deal with a, the level of ignorance that we've seen socially and w- how far we have to go and all those different types of things. Yeah. And so getting a chance to like get away from football and just be able to, to do something completely different. And oftentimes I just practice in here anyway. So it's like even practicing in the room that I work in every day, I don't feel like I'm in this room anymore. It takes on a different life of its own. Um, so getting a chance to do that has been fantastic. And I even basically stopped doing a football guys podcast on Sundays to, to practice because I needed it. Like, you know, they could find someone else. I didn't think it was a big deal. I didn't think I'd be missed that much on a Sunday. So, you know, I, I, I'm posting things everywhere on Twitter. So it's not like you're not going to see me. So before, especially before Sunday, having a chance to like do something completely non-football oriented um, just sets me right. And it's a, there's a meditative thing to it. And then there's just this. There's just some days where it's just like, you, I look at, and this is the nice thing about working for yourself. And there's an important thing about working for yourself. When you work for yourself, there's times that you've got to be, you know, the past few days, I've pretty much worked from, you know, any time between 10 or 11 in the morning till, you know, six in the morning um, to put out content, to work on different things or, you know, or get a nap and then get wake up at three in the morning and work till six and then go back to sleep. You know, and it's and you may do that kind of crazy stuff for weeks at a time. But then there are also days where it's like, you know, you've done that and you look at your day and you're like, I don't feel like doing any of this crap. I'm not doing a fucking thing. And it's like and I don't do that very often, but there are some days where that happens. And it's my wife usually is like, what are you doing here? I'm like, I'm watching Quentin Tarantino movies all day today. That's all I'm doing. And she's and she looked at she'll just look at me and cock her head and go good I'm glad you know and then that's it and that and I'll do that kind of thing and if I'm due for that that then that's that's what goes on so those are basically the three things I do to get myself out of my head about this game so that it can stay fresh and I can and still approach it with a level of um, energy I would say at least energy if not passion. Yeah. How about you? No. It, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, for me, um, you know, I, I've talked about how with you, you know, I get up each morning and work out. Like I got the green light to like put basically a pseudo gym in a, a, an extra room that we have. So I've got the bench, the squad, all that stuff. And so I, you know, I get up at you know 7.15 and I throw weights around for an hour and I feel like I'm 25 again. I'm sore in the next, you know, three days, but it, it puts me in a decent enough mental space. There are also, like you said, even though I don't really work for myself, there are days when I will, you know, try to just carve out some time to just do nothing. Yeah. You know, if it's just, you know, play video games, like I've mentioned, I've been playing Stardew Valley, you know, a little farming simulator, which is hilarious, but I, I'll do that. I will, you know, take four hours and just do yard work and clear brush and it helps to sort of clear my head and similar to you i try to block out fridays you know i try to take fridays as look you know i want a hard stop at noon on friday and then until saturday morning like i don't want to do anything football related like i'll do 
you know, if somebody asked me to do a show, I'll be like, yeah, can we do it like first and Friday? Cause I want noon on until Saturday, my, my time yeah. to do other stuff, to like do stuff around the house, do yard work, play with the kids, whatever. Like I, I want that. So yeah, I mean, cause it is, it's a doing this is and not that we're seeking pity from people. Cause again, we write about football, like, right. But it's a, it's a year long sprint. Like it never ends. Like yeah. we're already in draft season and it will just, it's a snowball rolling down the hill all the time. And you can try to be Sisyphus and stop it, but it won't, you know, it won't stop. And it can be overwhelming at times when, you take that Friday afternoon block and you're like, Oh, well, I'll check my phone. And you see people put out content and you feel like you can't keep up, but sometimes you just have to do that and accept that you won't be able to keep up because there's no way anybody can keep up with 18,000 people creating content. That's like, right. You just can't. That's and right. so if you start to view it through that lens, you're going to end up in a bad place. If you start to realize that you're just one person and you can't outwork everybody, you just got to work as hard as you need to you'll be much better off. Yeah, it's just a work version of what happens on social media for people on a regular basis is that yeah. you can get overwhelmed by looking at people's lives that they're yep. putting their best foot forward and all that kind of thing. But and social media, man, it's one of those things that we wish we could uninvent. Like, yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. Though at the same time, if we did, I might we might might not be here right now. That's true. So, I mean, it, it, there are some great doors that social media opens. Um, so it is it is a forceful good in some ways, um, yeah. but it does have its drawbacks. Yeah, I've I've about uninvented myself on Facebook. I just have to click the button, I think, to say goodbye. But um, yeah, but, Facebook is tough. Yeah, but listen, folks, we've enjoyed doing this with you. Um, we're so glad that you get a chance to listen to this podcast. Please rate and review it when you have an opportunity. Um, it does help us out. Um, you know, you can find Mark Schofield at Mark Schofield on Twitter. You can find him at, you know, at the TD Wire um, with Doug Farrar. You can find him at Pat's Pulpit. You can see his occasional forays with Michael Kist and, and what they do at Bleeding Green. Um, you know, Big Blue Review. Um, you know, he covers the horror that is Daniel Jones. Uh, I will say it. Um, but, you know, and you can find me at Matt Waldman. You can find the RSP Film Room. Um you know, on Twitter, this RSP cast, of course, you know where that is. RSP Film Room is actually on YouTube. I can't keep track of this stuff. Um, it's my adult brain. I just woke up. I'm still in my pajamas. So anyway, <laughs> thank you so much, guys. We're going to do a hard stop. We're about a, two minutes over, but not too bad for a, two guys who like to yak. So thanks Seriously. and have a good week. <laughs>